Hey everybody, it's Mike. Once again, our presenting sponsor is Samuel Adams. That is my hometown beer. They have summer ale. I didn't know what summer tasted like until I had summer ale, and then I was like, oh yeah, that's what summer tastes like. They're also doing this really positive thing, supporting restaurant workers across the country, along with the nonprofit Greg Hill Foundation. It, it's a it's an initiative called the Restaurant Strong Fund. You can support that effort at samueladams.com. And now the show. We are so excited on this week's Working It Out to have a very special guest, Roy Wood Jr. If you don't know Roy, uh, you may have seen him on The Daily Show as a correspondent since 2015. He is a phenomenal comedian. Uh, His specials, Father Figure and No One Loves You, are brilliant. And uh, and then together, he and I, back in March, co-created an initiative called Tip Your Wait Staff, where we did these Instagram Lives with other comedians. We did about 30 episodes. We helped on tipyourweightstaff.com raise uh, over $600,000 with all these different GoFundMes at Comedy Club Waitstaffs. We helped raise uh, over $100,000 for the Comedy Cellar in New York City, where Roy and I see each other most often, as well as his home club, the Stardome in Birmingham, which is, I think, where you are right now, Roy. Is that right? No. Since we talked last, bro, I got the fuck out of Alabama. The block too hot (laughs) down there. I went. okay. We timed it perfectly. This is when I knew for sure Alabama was going to become a COVID hotspot. In my mom's neighborhood, yeah, the ice cream man was still running, and I'm like, "Oh, oh shit! Yeah. You're just bringing the germs straight yeah. into the neighborhood. Come on out, kids, and take this COVID <laughs> back inside to your meemaw." <laughs> and, and by the way, like ice cream trucks always were germ-ridden to begin with. It's never been a hand sanitizer bottle <laughs> on the side of an ice cream truck. <laughs> So when I saw that, I I go back inside and I just walked over to my girl. I was like, yeah, we got to figure out when to dip because- Oh my gosh. We can't stay in this shit. That's this, I'm not going to stay here in this. And I taught my mom yeah. to minimize her retail exposure. I feel like that's where a lot <sighs> of it's happening Yeah, in the South. It's just, you're in the habit of going to the store every three, four days. And I'm trying to cut that down to two weeks for my yeah. mom. Yeah really once a month if we could really do it the right way but yeah you know so far so good that's why i keep telling people is that there's a lot of delivery right now and there's a lot of curbside it's not that big a deal you don't have to freak out you don't have to scream in the uh grocery store aisles and go ah you're taking away my rights it's like no just do curbside yeah it's like why are either of you in the fucking store yeah exactly why are you videoing her and why is she there yeah you see this lady out without a man motherfucker you need to go home too and just order this (laughs) shit like none of these arguments about a mask have happened at essential places no it's it's not the doctor's office or i don't know the dmv or somewhere where you can't you can't curbside a license renewal yeah man (laughs) You were so I was watching you uh this clip of you on the Tonight Show talking about when you were 
protesting in in Birmingham, uh, and and there was uh, you were peacefully protesting, but then there was some looting, and there was like an optometrist office that was broken oh, into. Oh yeah, Doctor Adams. So I saw the protest. I didn't go to the protest. I saw the footage, and mm-hmm. it pained me not to go. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I have a four-year-old I have to provide yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. So I need to stay alive. Yep. So I can figure out other ways to fight for justice and other sure. ways to bring attention to issues, you know. Sure. So I saw this woman's optometrist, uh, optometry office get trashed. 40 years in the Civil Rights District, this office. And we just went down there, me and a bunch of buddies. Uh, I just put it out on Twitter and half the city showed up and we just no cleaned kidding. up that whole block. And... I felt like in a way that was contributing because you're trying to help renew someone's spirit and belief. I I, I found that you know? to be the case when I was watching that footage. And also you can socially distance while shoveling glass. You cannot right. socially distance while screaming defund the police in front <laughs> yes. of a Confederate monument. Both, <laughs> both are useful activities, and I yes. endorse both, but one is, according to Dr. Fauci, safer than the other one. Sure. And yeah, plus I'm out there with my friends, a lot of whom I haven't seen in years or, you know, yeah. in a long time. So it was an opportunity to play catch up. We was out in those UV rays for about three hours. Yeah. So it was it was chill. Like it took me back to my radio days. The thing that I took for granted when I did mornings in Birmingham for a decade yeah. was just how much fucking community service we did and just yeah. how much being out on the block with people. And, you know, pressing the flesh. Yeah. How big a part of the job that was. Um, you know, with that UV, with those UV rays, you know, if you inject those into your veins and the disinfectants, it, 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 <laughs> cure, it, it cures you of the COVID. Yeah, I heard bleach lotion also <laughs> works. If you use bleach as lotion. By the way, I'm really glad we did tip your weight, Steph, because we got a lot of really nice uh, thank yous from the weight staffs across the country. And who knew... We'd be going into July and August. Still. We're still dealing with it. Still dealing with it. Some of the comedy clubs are creeping back open, but, you know, I myself am not in a rush to get back on stage. But some of the clubs are doing some, like, parking lot shows and things. I I don't think that that's a terrible idea, but, but, yeah, I'm not in a rush to get back into a club. It seems like bars are one of the easiest ways to 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 spread it yeah everything that makes comedy perfect is also great for covid like (laughs) yes (laughs) every comedy club is just a covid oven low (laughs) ceiling low ceilings liquor everybody spraying particles out their mouth yeah that's right that's right no what's amazing is fauci will point out that laughter literally laughter spreads the virus (laughs) so it's like uh, laughter is the best medicine, except when it uh, spreads a deadly virus. Yes. It's like, oh, laughter is the best medicine, except for shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. So this is a part of the show we call the slow round, and it's just a series of prompts. Do you remember a smell from your childhood? Dead animals on the train tracks walking to soccer practice in the seventh grade. Wow. That's a very strong smell. That's in the southern heat, there would just be 
to this day, I don't know how animals get hit by trains. Like <laughs> in the middle of like the like were you trying to hurry up and cross? Like that's the only thing I can think is that <laughs> you make you just juke the wrong way at the yeah, last minute. Yeah. But a train isn't like a car where it's just all of a sudden right up on you. It's a train. It's horns. Right. It's all types of shit. Mm. So right. there's an expression that's like, there's a train coming. And that stench, man, that southern heat stench of just dead raccoons and armadillos and fucking every now and then a deer, like just, oh my God. Like to this day, that's the one thing, that's one smell I'll never forget. Uh, gin vomit. <laughs> what? So in college, uh, me and a few buddies, we we met some older women. And by older, we were like, I don't know, what were we, 20? Yeah, you're 20. They were probably 25. Yeah, they were 25, exactly. Yeah. 24, 25. Grad students. Yeah. Or as we call them, old heads. Oh, my God, old heads. We called 25-year-old women <laughs> old heads. So these old heads was like, we want to drink with y'all. Y'all should come over to our house wow. and get drunk with us. We was like, fuck yeah, baby. Let's get drunk. So yeah. we go buy all this liquor. They give us a lid, not knowing that they were rolling us to restock their liquor cabinet is what they were doing. Wow. Brilliant. Wow. Wisdom. Wisdom from that's the That's a move. I never even heard that, but that's a good move. Bro, we went to we went to Jack's Liquor in Tallahassee, Florida, and we paid a homeless guy $20 to buy all of our alcohol. Wow. And we roll over there with like $80 worth of bottles worth of shit. And we sat with these women and we started drinking the gin. We bought a bottle of gin for ourselves. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm a slow drinker in the sense that I'm trying to kind of, you know, flirt. You know, like I, like I don't want to lose my faculties. Sure. Because I'm sure. trying to flirt. I'm trying to see. You're if, trying to keep it cool. Yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to fucking holler at one of these women. That's my objective. Sure. My buddies are all just getting drunk. We sit there for about another hour and a half, and I'm probably the most sober person in the room of my crew. Yeah. I'm for sure the most sober in my crew. And I look up, and the women all have on different clothes. Really? They're all, and they're dressed to the nines. It, by the way, it's 7.30 at night, by the way, oh, okay, when we get okay. over there. So not only have you rolled us to restock your liquor cabinet, you used us for pregame before you went out to the club. <laughs> That's great. So, so I look up and they walk over to us. They go, "So what y'all about to do?" Which is fucking. I don't know if you all did this up in Massachusetts, but down south, what y'all about to do means it's time for you to get the fuck out of my it's house. Time for you to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. We have other plans. We go, we thought we was hanging. Like, no, we headed oh to the club. God. <laughs> but call us later tonight and maybe y'all could come back over. And wow. we knew that wasn't gonna happen because we were shit faced. So we get in the car, we head home. Uh my friends are gone. They are gone. Yeah. Just drunk. We're four deep in an 87 Dodge Aries. I'm driving. It's my car. Stylish. Yeah. One of them, one of the boys in the back seat vomits all over me. Oh, my um, gosh. Over my right shoulder and all over the center console. Oh, my gosh. The Jesus. vomit has filled the cup holder. Projectile. Yeah. 
buddy in the front seat goes, yo, man, that's disgusting. I need you to slow the car down. (laughs) I don't like the smell of vomit. I go, neither do I. We're close to campus. Can you just hold on? He goes, I'll try. He rolls the window down. It's half out the car, half in the car. Oh, my God. But it's all down in between the window and all of that shit. <laughs> and the Dodge, the Dodge Aries. No, yeah, bro. So three blocks later, we get pulled over because he's his head is out the window, like just on some Ace Ventura shit, trying to just like get a breeze because he can't stand the smell of the vomit. He thinks it's gonna make him throw up again. Cop pulls us over. Um comes up to the window, I roll the car down, and I just go, I'm the designated driver. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and the cop looks at me, looks at the vomit, and just goes, God bless you, young man. Oh, my god! And just walked away. He never oh asked gosh. for a license, never asked yeah. for registration. Wow. I, to god. this day, I can't drink gin. I think you got to do that on stage. Have you done that on stage? I've never told. This is the first time I've ever told that story. That is a phenomenal story. The problem with me telling a lot of stories from college is that I lacked so much morality then than I do now that it's it's getting people to recognize that I'm a different person now. It's hard. I I, I think that it is a struggle in comedy right now. Because people, especially with cancel culture and people want to roll you for, people will figure out a way to roll you for who you were instead of recognizing who you are now. And I think I need one more album for people to really, really know me before I tell you the time where we went to confront a pimp who stole my high school class ring. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's wow. That's not a story that's <laughs> that you can just slide in there. Not right now when you talk about, you know, you know, women's rights and, you know, respectability to women and... The sex work trade and sex yeah, work and body positivity. Like there's just so many layers to that story that that I don't want to step on by appearing that I still condone those types of activities and people who do those things. I mean, I've talked about this publicly and you know in a number of different forums, but when I was 19, I got arrested for stealing jeans from a department store. Oh Part gosh. of what we used to do was sell that clothing. To more affluent people in the city. So I eat a pimp. Every now and then a pimp gotta look <laughs> nice. Pimps were good customers. Oh my gosh. Pimps, pimp, when it comes to somebody who needs to look fresh at all times, it's a pimp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you steal, so you steal jeans, you sell them to people who can't afford those jeans. But super nice stuff. Like not like regular a student is never gonna buy a two hundred dollar pair of Jabot jeans, not on a regular basis, but a right. pimp needs five. Oh. You see what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. a student might need one pair to wear for the homecoming event. Sure, but a pimp—that's his car washing outfit. So, yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're, if you've made as a teenager, if you're making your side hustle stealing clothing, you're gonna sell it to more viable clientele. Yeah, because the charge is the same, you know. So, right. So that was my logic at the time. So. Somehow a pimp ends up in your home and your class ring ends up missing. So you, now you're walking the streets with a baseball bat for a Herf Jones $250 class, which 
I don't even miss to this day. And I think it, <laughs> when I when I tell that story properly, it's about materialism and just about things. Yeah, yeah, sure. I stole things to give to a guy who valued things that really weren't, that we shouldn't be valuing in the first place. And then I went to fight him over a thing that I thought was valuable. But the only reason I thought it was That's valuable right. is because a fucking company told me yes, I should have a ring. Yes, you need those jeans or that ring, yeah. Yeah, so we were both stupid. And that's, but you can't get to that place without sounding like you condone pimping because you're so close to a pimp who was, for sure, abusive to women mentally and or physically. Probably and by, both, more than likely. And by the way, Roy, abusive to women, completely unethical, and the end result is being able to buy a stupid pair of jeans that are overpriced in the first place. Yes. All of that to buy jeans. That's what he was doing that for. My first mainstream TV credit was Star Search, the reboot they did yeah. with Arsenio Hall. Oh, I've Hall. seen it. I've seen it, Roy. <laughs> Terrible. It's so, good. I think it's good. So, um, in 03 at the time with American Idol, American Idol was, I think, two years prior to Star Search. And every contestant, like every year a contestant, they were finding out something from his past yes. and using it. Yes. To do, there was this woman, Frenchie, on American Idol who took a couple nude photos, some racy magazine spread, sure. and they kicked her off the show, which now they would give you a show. Yeah, yeah. It might go but, the other way. Yeah, the irony of where we are now. But so I was so petrified of someone finding out that I had just wrapped up probation that that was the first thing I did on Star Search. First package, they put the camera in front of me. Yes. You are led you happy with that, to be at so Star they Search? They couldn't get you on it. Getting arrested was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's why I got into <laughs> comedy and they helped find me and get myself right. And I'm proof that if you make better choices, you can have a better life. Thank you. Wow. So y'all not going to dig this shit up. That's a smart move. So when you, like, if there's a protest in Birmingham, is some of your calculation in your head when you don't go to the protest that if you get arrested uh, for, I, what would you be arrested for? Disturbing the peace? No, not disturbing the peace. It's, uh, what would it be? I'm trying to think of what, I'm forgetting. Uh, civil disobedience? Yeah, uh, yeah, unlawful assembly, something like that. Yeah, if you got arrested, that your record uh, for stealing jeans would work against you? Yeah, I've thought about that. I mean, if we're talking about sentencing me and throwing the book at him, I yeah, uh, I think being on The Daily Show probably works more against me. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm serious. I, I really feel like being on The Daily Show is a serious disadvantage. And if you catch Currently. the wrong judge. Currently, yeah. It, I, you catch the wrong judge. There's a lot of things that are wrong with the criminal justice system that we try to use The Daily Show to help shine a light on. Sure, sure. So then you're in the belly of the beast. You know, it may as well be, you know, the Confederacy ca capturing a Union soldier. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You know, like if we're d depending on the courtroom, yeah. You know, depending on the judge. So, you know, priors, yeah. But I mean, it's also it's it's gene, it's it's clothing. You were a teenager, okay, fine. But you know, it's it just depends. You know, there's still people to this day that may use that against me. I see it, it come up in message boards and stuff like that, and you know, people will tweet about it as if it's to shame me. Didn't you get arrested? 
Yeah, bitch right. in 98. Now, do you want to talk about how to <laughs> fix civil rights or not? Yeah. It's I I always that's actually one of my questions in the slow round for people is like what's but you already answered it, which is what is the period of your life that you sort of most cringe at? And for me it was like my teens and my 20s and I feel like I sort of got it together in my 30s and now in my 40s. I feel like I I I feel like I'm starting to 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 figure some things out. There's a stretch from age 25 to about 33 that I wish I could play differently as yeah. it relates to relationships. Yeah. And just being honest in love. Yeah. I think that is probably, that's for sure. If it's some, what could you change? And you, it's that stretch. And I would even put that stretch above the last conversation I had with my father because it's unrealistic to feel like I could have changed that because yeah. that wasn't completely on me. Yeah. Whereas 25 to about 34, yeah, that was me. That was all yeah. my fault. And, you know, you, I think once you get older and you start taking stock of the way that you may have treated people in a relationship, you know, it's like, all right, that, that not only affects other people, but it affects you. And then yeah. the the thing that nobody teaches you what to like people try to prepare you for everything. Yeah. But no one can teach you how to prepare to carry regret. Yeah. And carrying regret is probably one of the you can't treat you, you can't train for it. Like, you no. can't teach anybody that shit. You yeah. can't. Like, I think about my son and, you know, how to let things go. But the best way is to just be better yeah. and to be what you should have been. And so that's yeah. what I've, and that's the life I've led since then. Um, my father and I, I feel like there were certain things that I wish I could have asked him. Yeah. Oh, man. To help yeah. reconcile present day feelings. But also, I was 16. It wasn't my place to ask him. And he probably wouldn't have answered honestly. Because I was 16. So <sighs> yeah. I can't really change that one. You know what I'm saying? Like I could I wish I could go back and ask him, what well, motherfucker, you still wasn't gonna get the truth. I struggle but, with I struggle with that still. I mean, my 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 dad uh my dad had pneumonia recently and I and I got scared. He tested negative for COVID, but I got really scared uh that that it could be that. And 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 then it would be, you know, a coin toss as to, he's 80 years old as to whether it's it's game over. And then it's like, well, what 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 was my last, you know, year or two of conversations with like him? Not great. I mean, we we're really at odds with each other, particularly because of the political climate. We're very much at odds. And. And I don't think I don't think I'm proud of things that I all the things I've said to him, and uh, it's it's hard, man. Yeah. It's hard. It gets me yeah. choked up thinking about it. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things where I look back at those periods, and you just go, "Fuck, man." Yeah. Fuck, I I fucking played that one wrong. I played that yeah. one all the way wrong, and. And and sometimes it'll fuck with you even more because you know you can't undo it. Like someone told me, I received a card one time from a person, and 
essentially what the card said was two chemicals, I'm paraphrasing it, two chemicals with their own chemical composition are mixed to make something new. You can never separate that mix to return them to their to the original two chemicals yeah, that they were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Before they mixed. Yeah. You know. Once the chemical reaction occurs, there's you can't undo it. Correct. Or as Neil Brennan would eloquently put it, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube, man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like this weird fuck, I wish I could have it all back. And then like I find myself talking to strangers about my father who knew him yeah. and knew his work. My dad was a journalist, civil rights journalist, and you know, like he covered he covered the riots in Soweto um wow. in the 50s. He was in Rhodesia during the Civil War. Um frontline wow. with he was an embedded reporter in Vietnam with black platoons who were getting sent in first to die. And you know, came back, started the National Black Net. Just a a shit ton of wokey woke journalism that was for the culture and, you know, shining a light on a lot of bullshit. And, you know, not that different from what a lot of my stand-up is now. Sure, sure. So molecularly, we are very, very similar. It, it sucks sometimes to have, to have to have strangers and family members help you piece together who someone was because you didn't yeah. get to ask those questions. So, you know, I don't know. I've, I've thought about ways to communicate from the grave with my son if we really want to get deep into that. But, you know, maybe the work is enough. Uh, I just know that I don't want to leave him prone to making a lot of the same mistakes that I did. And even if he does, you can be educated on, here's what you do now that you have made that mistake. This is a bit that I'm working on that I thought you could relate to, which is uh, the pandemic has been challenging because at my lowest points in the pandemic, I've felt completely alone, but I'm quarantined, so I can't be alone by definition. I have to take care of my family. So it's worse than being alone, because at least when you're alone, you get to be alone. Currently, I'm just a failing member of a group. And, and, and I, I, think, I think part of the reason I'm failing is that weekends are not weekends. Like like last Saturday, I had I'd worked all week and then I was off, and then I realized when you have kids, there is no off. There is only on and more on, and and off is more on than on. Like when mm-hmm. you're off, you think, oh man, I wish I had more time on. <laughs> like you can't tell your five year old, I'd love to get you a bandaid for your boo boo, but I'm off. It's this weird land of, am I doing this right? Yeah. It's today a work day or do I not? Like, I don't know. Every day feels like Tuesday or Thursday. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This nebulous universe of Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. Tuesday is like, all right, what else can we get done? And Thursday's kind of like, all right, I've done a lot. Isn't it time to start winding down here? And, yeah, and then I had to another, wind down had, a little. I had another one, which is uh, even the term "off" is misleading, because when you're off, you're still alive. 
Like the actual off is dead. I read about <laughs> this guy who jumped off a bridge. I was like, he's off. <laughs> and uh, in, in Buddhism, you try to turn off. You try to think nothing. But it doesn't work for me. I just fall asleep, which, which because of my sleepwalking, is on. <laughs> and so I, I just don't have it off. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm struggling in this whole, in this whole thing. I think a lot of people are. I think a lot, especially you know, you have a you have a son. I have a daughter, and it's uh, when when is off? Are you getting an off? I found a sweet spot of about one o'clock to five o'clock in the morning, but the trade off is sleep. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, I, one a.m. to five a.m. Bro, I get so much done in overnights. I like that shit, man. I love two in the morning. I love the hum of the refrigerator. Yeah, I love the the sirens. It, fucking down south when I was at my mom's, I love the crickets. It's just, I don't know. It just feels like progress. I I can get more done in three hours with no one awake than yeah. I can all day. Like, I don't know if this is a bit yet, but it's for sure an observation that I want to hone in on making a bit and just how how much disrespect the National Guard deals with. <laughs> the, the, the basic premise is that the National Guard is America's stepdad. <laughs> it's yeah. like a stepdad or an uncle where, like, when the shit gets out of hand, the National Guard, the police are just like, fuck it, call in the National Guard. <laughs> and it's so disrespectful because the National Guard, they're never treated as first responders. They're yeah. never mentioned in the conversation. Yeah. It, people, the, the first responders, give it up for the cops and the firefighters and paramedics. Yes. And you know what? Let's add nurses to the list. They do a lot of shit. And what about the grocery guy who put the lettuce on the shit? Sure. What about the delivery guy? The first <laughs> Bitch, I helped stop a fucking pandemic. <laughs> even the commercial, like the commercial isn't even about all the cool shit that, you, that you're going to do. Like the Army and Navy is... Like every military commercial is badass and we'll yes, kick your yes. ass and we get up early and look yeah. at this fucking and the National Guard is like, hey man, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Come on. <laughs> please. Please. Oh, it's God. not a lot of time. And and it's crazy because they do so much shit, but you could never show the National Guard being aggressive like they're ordered to be because they're being aggressive against American citizens. Yeah. And I guess that ain't sexy. And it's like they stopped, like when Katrina happened, the National Guard was there picking people up off the roof and delivering yeah. supplies. They handled the COVID quarantines. The first quarantine zone in America outside of Seattle, the National Guard was the ones doing the testing yeah. before they had doctors in there. So imagine you're just some wow. fucking dude on a couch who agreed to do some shit two weeks a year for yeah. a check, and they go, hey, man, infectious disease. you mind oh my running to the garage and finding your shit? <laughs> no, get the fucking Marines. All they do is brag about how we're the first ones in. Well, bitch, go, <laughs> go be first with that. Yeah. You don't want to be first with that corona, do you? No, because you only want to fucking beat the shit out of strangers. When it comes time to fucking beat the shit out of Americans who are rioting, leave that. Like, you're in the National Guard, and you have to stop people from rioting for something that you stand for and believe in. Yeah. I've seen the footage. Yeah. I've seen, I don't know if you've seen the footage of National Guardsmen holding the line. A lot yeah. of black cops, too. 
And you can tell they don't believe in the shit that they're protecting. Yeah. And now you have to stop protesters. And then when the protests are over, you're just back in this community. Like shit was yes. cool. Yes. But the point is that they're in, they're in this weird no man's land where they're not as respected as cops and not as respected as military, but yeah. have to do the job of both. Yeah. When the cops are really getting fucked up, they call the National Guard. So you're That's basically crazy, daddy cop. Like, man, go get yeah. daddy. <laughs> we can't stop them. Yeah. Because then the National Guard is also used as a threat, like a fucking, don't you make me send the National Guard. Oh, my gosh. Like, anytime you threaten to send the National Guard, that's under the premise that they're going to come and fuck shit up and whoop yeah. your ass. And we'll get you an order, motherfucker. Don't make me send the National Guard them green trucks with the green cloth on the back. You don't want them Rambo trucks coming down the street. It so, really, the stepdad analogy is perfect because it's like, we like you, but we don't love you. Exactly. And that's why you treat the National Guard like a stepdad. You talk yeah. shit to them. You throw shit at them. You ain't none of my real daddy. You're not you my ain't real the real dad. army. <laughs> it's like your stepdad. It's like, he's around sometimes, but not yeah. all the time. And when he is around, it's always fixing some shit. Stop. <laughs> yes. Stop doing that. Get the fuck off that roof. I told you to get some hurricane. We told you the storm was coming. Boy, get on this goddamn helicopter. What you doing at this house? And he's married to your mom, which is America, and you don't even always agree with your mom anyway. But then your mom calls in your stepdaddy to talk some sense into you. <laughs> when the truth is, you just want a dad that's as cool as the Coast Guard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever consider joining the Army? Yeah, I had a full Army ROTC scholarship in college that I turned down uh, a week before graduation. No kidding. Yeah, it just the they wanted an eight year commitment for active for reserve, and I just felt like you graduate from college at twenty one, and I basically owe you my life until I'm twenty eight. Wow. It just felt yeah. like a long time, and sure enough, you know, five months after I graduated, nine eleven happened. Yeah, so I would have been cow. deployed. Unbelievable. I, you know, I did ROTC in high school. You know, I I liked it. I enjoyed a lot of the discipline of it. I think there are some parts of the army that are beneficial to people. People of a certain behavioral type need some structure. Clearly, I needed structure because I went straight to college and started stealing. <laughs> so wow. yeah. I needed some discipline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just, I don't know, it just that long of a time. And this is without any knowledge about the lack of VA support and PTSD and how half of our homeless are veterans, like with yeah. no knowledge of any of these statistics. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, man, this feels like a long time. When I'm staying at the hotel I stay at, when I go to Indianapolis on tour, it's the hotel where they put all the new recruits, the new army recruits. Yeah. And it's and I can't I can never get over cuz there you know a lot of times it'll be 30, 40, 50 of them, maybe even 100 staying in the hotel. And I can never get over how how damn young they are. I remember my first year of stand up, my first two years really, I rode the Greyhound to get to gigs cuz I didn't have a car. And, yeah, I did that some. Yeah. And so when I'll go up the East Coast, and I'll go up 95 uh, to do gigs, the Greyhound bus would stop at Paris Island at the uh, Marines' um, basic training and would pick up troops who had quit the training. Wow. 
So I remember every trip, every trip up, every trip down, we'd stop at Paris Island. Yeah. And pick up two, three motherfuckers with a buzz cut. And just the look on their face of just fuck that shit. Yeah. Some were like ecstatic, like they were leaving. Like you'd have thought this bus was headed to Disney World. Yeah. The way they ran and got on the bus and then others just cried. Like they were just very sad and very yeah. solemn. Like, you know, like they quit or they gave up, or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I've always, I don't know, those are like, you ever just strangers you still wonder about to this day? Dad, can you I, the for me? Oh Hold on gosh. a second. <laughs> now, right now, you have to do your classes. Yeah, you got to do your second class. Dude, let me tell you the great thing about my son's preschool. They have this e-learning stuff. Yeah. But they record all the sessions. Oh, So nice. you can download them through Google Classroom. So oh, anytime wow. you want to just send him to class, yes. I could just pull up. Let's watch class from March 3rd. <laughs> yeah. pretend it's today. Oh, my God. And you get an education. It's great. It's like sending your kids to school twice. I'm telling you, Roy, like, maybe I'm overstepping, but I really do feel like you should write a solo show off Broadway about your life. Like, I does that interest you? Yeah, it does. It's the problem. I don't know if you ever noticed with my stand-up. I don't talk about myself. Yeah, I know, man. I talk about the world. I talk about my thoughts and analysis on the world because... I've just I've always felt like my stuff was too weird or too hard to make funny in a <sighs> traditional setup setup punchline. Yeah. And really diving into the deeper parts of my life would require a comfort that I didn't possess at the time. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, all right, maybe I could get a little deeper and tell that story and really go into like there's the time like when I did get arrested and I was getting transferred from jail to court for the for the bail hearing and how the US Marshal called me nigger for 30 oh minutes gosh. straight Jesus. from the from the jail all the way to the courthouse and like and then Are when you I serious? and then when I got bail and got free and I got free um he called me a lucky nigger <laughs> like oh my it was gosh. just looking, and then it's Tallahassee so I end up working at Golden Corral. So a year and a half later, oh my god! Guess who's one of my customers at my table? That guy, fucking U.S. Marshals. <laughs> and, and the part here's the part like, of course it's heinous, it's racism, whatever. The part that hurt the most was that he didn't remember me. Oh, that's devastating. Which means you call everybody yes. nigger. I that's thought right. I was special. Yeah. Bitch. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> you know, so you thought I, it was a moment in his life yeah. where he crossed the line. It's like you just call everybody nigga. Like, so there's oh. there's an arc in that story. Yeah. Just in how, you know, just how dis- racism is just such a way of life for so many people that it's like saying hello to a stranger. That's right. You know, but there ain't a lot of punchlines in that. Then to explore that story based on the current audience's mindset, I have to I have to explain why I got arrested. I have to explain what I got arrested for. Then I have to have a moment of of atonement within my joke to go, I yeah. shouldn't have been stealing. I shouldn't have been. <laughs> so now so now we're 15 minutes on some sidetrack shit. 
no. before I can get to the transport no. with the U.S. Marshal. That's why, Richard, right. That's why you need me to produce the show. Richard Pryor <laughs> never went, no, I shouldn't have been smoking cocaine. But anyway, I was smoking cocaine. He just delivered it so matter-of-factly because people are on board with him because people knew who he was. And so when you start revealing layers of yourself, yeah, that's right. I think it, it's, it only works if people already know you. Chris Rock, like, I don't think Chris Rock gets enough credit for the back half of Tambourine and how emotionally naked Unbelievable. he was on that stage, Unbelievable. Man. Beautiful. He's never done that. He's never done that before. He gets credit from from people who I respect, though. I think that I think that there's a certain group of people, you and me included, who get that Tambourine is one of the best comedy specials in the last two decades. It's downright. It's it's downright like a total shift, and yeah. it's beautiful because he he starts he starts one way, you know, yeah. and it's a traditional Chris Rock special, and we love him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just goes, oh, yeah, porn addiction, divorce, and here's what else I'm going dealing with. I that. know. And you're like, God damn. I know, man. Ooh. And so I think you can only go there once people know you a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm open to it, dude. I got a next-door neighbor in jail for murder. I Jesus. got it. Like, this, I've come from an interesting place. Wait, so your neighbor, because I've been, I've been working on material about my childhood neighbors lately and i have yeah i i mean i don't i have a i have a neighbor who went to jail but i don't have it wasn't for murder i think it was for armed robbery the was it was murder while you were living next to him no this was a couple of years after i had moved from the house but i still kept in touch with the family and you know he was he was a getaway Oof. driver on a robbery that went south, and he got charged with the murder. He wasn't the trigger man. You know, they right. have, like, the group laws in certain cities, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, um, I grew up two doors over from a crack house, an active wow. crack house. Whoa. But not a drug den. And there's a distinct difference. And I think that people... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> laughing at... There's a distinct... <laughs> difference well there is if that's not funny i don't know what is and there's it's, a distinct difference because people call everything a crack house it's like no yeah this was a crack house this is where you purchase crack yeah to consume elsewhere this is carry out yeah a drug den is this is a it's, it's this is curbside correct a crack house is curbside a drug den is it, how many people in your party come <laughs> i will i will take you to your table <laughs> Here is your needle. <laughs> Here are our crack specials for oh this my God. evening. These are our crack specials is such a great line. So so we had this neighbor at the time. When we moved to Birmingham in the third grade, it was the back end of white flight from the yes, hood. Sure. So we had this. And white flight, if people don't know what it is, is it was a phenomenon that occurred where a lot of a lot of people left, a lot of white people left cities. Uh, to move to suburbs. Correct. As the black middle class started to rise and black people started to move into to just traditionally white neighborhoods, white people just up and left immediately, thus lowering the property value and making it easier for black folks to move in because white people all went to the suburbs or it was nice. Yeah. Miss Murray could not afford to be one of those people. So she was stuck living between our house and a crack house. And, dude, she called the police on these niggas once a month. Oh my God. And every month, like clockwork, they were breaking her house, 
and they would beat her up for calling no. the police. No. And but they would never kill her. Oh my gosh. And she never stopped calling the police on them. Like it was some weird Tom and Jerry shit, like some Whoa. bizarro itchy and scratchy. Oh my gosh. Where <laughs> that is the darkest and, that is the darkest analogy for what you're literally describing. <laughs> Hey, you're gonna keep selling crack. I'm gonna keep calling the police on you. But oh the police gosh. never had probable cause. It was a well-run crack house. So the cops never had probable cause to come in, but they knew it was Miss Murray because who else could it be? It's yeah. it's the only yeah. white lady on the block. Yeah, yeah. And so the way our yard, the way the yards were set up. Um, and what year was this when you were growing up, by the way? This is like 85. 85, 86, okay. Mid-80s. You know, it's 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 crack boom. You know, crack yeah. is moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say boom was like 90 or something like that for crack. But yeah. at this point, it's a it's a it's a burgeoning stock, you know, yeah. you can get on board. Yeah. Um but they were never um they were never mean to anybody in the hood. And that yeah. was the thing that was always odd, you know. And I've told, I, well, I think Comedy Central edited it out because it was just too long of a story. But I I talked about how all of my interactions with drug dealers were great. Yeah. And I had better interactions with drug dealers than I did cops. Yeah, I've talked to you as about a kid. this before. Yeah, this is, ama- this is an amazing observation. And so... When we played baseball, if you hit a home run, a home run was into the backyard of the crack yeah. house. Yeah. But they didn't cut the grass. And there were needles in the grass, so you knew not to hop the fence to get the ball. The ball was just gone. Yeah. But if you wanted to, you could go knock on the door. Yeah. And ask them for the tennis ball. But we would deliberately wait until a bunch of balls went over before we would not, because we didn't want to trouble them for every, you know, we would wait. Like, at the end of the week, we'll go, hey, man, we think it's eight balls back there. Can you just toss yeah. them over? Yeah. And then it got to a point where, without even asking, some days, the balls would just be back over the fence. And we yeah. could just grab them. And then one day, we come home from um, from the boys' club, and there's a box of brand new fucking tennis balls. Wow. Fresh out the can. That's another smell I love, man. I love it, man. The tennis fresh ball, smell, smell, tennis ball. Yeah, you open the you open the metal <laughs> part and you sniff that first tennis ball felt. Why tennis balls pack like a forty ounce? It, <laughs> <laughs> it cracks open. It's refre- It's like a refreshing. It's like a NASA. It's like a NASA product. Those tennis yeah. balls. So there's um, so there's a there's a box of fresh tennis balls. Yeah. With a note that just says, stop knocking on my door. No kidding. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, this is a nice gesture. But then this is also <sighs> the same person that beat the shit out of an old white lady. No, I know, man. I mean, and you're saying like, you're saying that, you know, uh, you like drug dealers more than you like the cops. Well, That's like when I was talking to John Laster and he was saying, and you know John, right? From the yeah, cellar. yeah. And he was going, you know, when you're a black man in America... The cops are not there to protect you. It's just not how it is. Not, not, not more than likely. No. Yeah. Not in the least. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting in the sense that you know there was that there was a time I did I used to do shows for Dope Boys on a regular, 
They paid us, you know, and I'm not defending the occupation. See, this is where, like, doing a one-man show, where now I have to go, I'm not saying it's right that you should be <laughs> dealing drugs, and I agree with the occupation of drug dealer. <laughs> May I now Roy. continue my story now that you know my moral beliefs? Roy, what is that voice? Let's identify so what that voice is. That shit. It's judgmental fucks, but that's what I always feel yeah. when I start talking about myself and things that I've interacted with because I've had friendships and interactions with people who were immoral. Yeah. You know, on a regular basis. Yeah. I've interacted and broke bread with people who do things that I don't condone or co-sign on, but in those moments and in those times, those relationships made sense. I, I man, I think that's a hit show, and I, I want to keep talking to you about it because I think that you're underselling the genius that you have, which is the ability to take stories that are really dark and have them turn on a dime into comedy. And I think you're one of the very few people I've seen. I don't like following you for that reason when we're performing the same show. <laughs> you're too goddamn good. And I don't like it. I don't want any part of it. I want to be on a different show. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think you have that ability, and I think we should keep talking about it because I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, that's... Your stories add up to a story of, I think, of redemption, of kindness, of generosity. I think that they're, and, and ultimately, is hilarious every step of the way. And I think... <laughs> Hang on one second. Henry? He just walked in and asked me where clouds come from. <laughs> That's and about where and the show is about where clouds yeah. come from. Hey, uh, it, uh, well, you know what? With your guidance, we'll figure it out. Well, let's end by uh, the segment we call "Working It Out for a Cause," where we shine a light on a nonprofit that our guest thinks is doing a good job, and I'm gonna. I'm going to contribute to them. I'm going to encourage the listeners to contribute, and we're going to link to them in the show notes. I see me incorporated. I see me INC. Okay. So I see me is, it's a nonprofit out of Birmingham started by a school teacher and this woman's vision. So, you know, the school to prison pipeline, there's a connection between illiteracy and incarceration. Okay. Quicker you get kids reading. Yep. The quicker kids learn, the more they want to learn, the less yep. likely they are to get into the meat grinder that is the prison industrial complex. Yep. Kids are more encouraged to learn if they read books with images that are reflective of the people that they see commonly in now. Talk yep. about black people, Mike. Black. Oh my gosh, it's so. it's just hitting me. It's just hitting me. <laughs> <laughs> so so basically what they do is take books by black authors or books with black imagery and get them in the hands of kids who can't afford books or they're at schools where there aren't a lot of books of that nature. And then they channel that money into book drives and book libraries around the neighborhood and programs where they get black people to come read to children in the schools. And they just, they preach a message of literacy that I think is congruent with employment because I think yes. literacy and employment run hand yep. in hand. Yeah, I think literacy is is massive. It's a crucial ingredient in in finding some sense of equity in all of this madness. Yeah, and what they do is is great. You know, I've donated in the past. I've gone and take. They have um, 
you know, they do the reading day on Dr. Seuss Day, but then they also do a real men read where they get black men to come into, you know, the school systems in Birmingham and read. And, you know, I call it quasi-mentoring. It's mm-hmm. not quite full mentoring. It's just <laughs> it's like, like a, hey. You're like a, you're like a stepdad. Yeah. <laughs> get in here and read to these kids and answer a couple <laughs> questions, and then you can go home. So you're the, yeah. you're the National Guard of literacy. Yeah, I'm the National Guard. So I get deployed, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year, and I go read the city <laughs> kids and city schools. So, you know, I've been a part of that group, you know, that goes back to my radio station days, which is when I got into a lot of that philanthropy. And it's it's great. It's a hundred percent great. Well, Roy, it's an honor. I love that we're friends. I love all of your specials. I love all your material. I love all your projects. I love your work on The Daily Show. And I hope that we can we can uh, build a show off-Broadway in New York together. All right, man. Let's figure it out, man. After COVID, though. I don't want no motherfuckers coughing on me. I know, man. I hear you. <laughs> Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no So that's another episode of Working It Out with Roy Wood Jr. This is our 10th episode. A lot happened in 10 episodes. Uh, If you're not caught up, go back and listen to 1 through 10. We're very proud of them. Uh, This one was possibly the coolest because we may have witnessed the beginning of an artistic partnership. Who knows? But it felt like it just felt great to kick around ideas with Roy. Our producers of Working It Out are Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, assistant editor Mabel Lewis. Thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz as well as Marissa Hurwitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff for his music. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, J-Hope Stein. Our book, the new one, is Curbside. We are on a virtual bookstore tour of America Find out everything at burbigs.com where you can sign up for the mailing list. As always, a special thanks to my daughter who created a radio fort with the help of one fresh pillow. Una, I know you had something you wanted to say about that. One fresh pillow. Get us more pillows. She she wants more pillows. So uh, if, if you don't mind sending some, we'd appreciate it. Once again, our thanks to Sam Adams who is presenting the Restaurant Strong Fund Join them today at samueladams.com. As always, thanks to everyone who listened. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We're working it out. What y'all doing now? <laughs>